You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. In this episode, we're continuing the adventures of Woodrow the Wicked with a new story, The Grimble Prince. And this probably goes without saying, but if you haven't listened to chapters 1 through 10 of The Moonshadow, be sure and go back and listen to those first. Before we get started, I'd like to mention that this show is on Audible now. And my analytics tell me that about a quarter of you are listening on Audible. So, I think you know where this is going. We could really use some reviews there. And it helps a lot. Thanks so much. And now the recap. When we left Woodrow, he was telling Cassandra the story of the destruction of his home, Riley Island. Now the story picks up where he left off, as he floats aimlessly in the uncanny airship his father built. But soon he'll find himself facing the terrible consequences of his recent actions while escaping Riley Island, when a dreadful truth comes out. And now, Lies and Half-Truths presents The Moon Shadow, first book of the adventures of Woodrow the Wicked. Part 3. The Grimble Prince. Chapter 11. In those first few days after Woodrow left Riley Island, the wind alone motivated the Moonshadow. She crawled along the North Sea, hanging a good distance out of reach of the choppy waves. Ahead lay the jaws of the North, mountains of granite and pine that formed a jagged wall at the edge of the Grey Sea. He spent most of that time curled up in the pilot seat, eyes fixed on the metallic grain of the cockpit floor. In his mind, he kept seeing a red halo in the dark, an inferno burning out from the center of Riley Island, consuming everything. He could never go home again. He had no home to return to. The morning of the fifth day, he awoke to pale light. He blinked and set his feet on the ground. He was hungry, he realized. Saying nothing to Hartford, he headed out of the cockpit and down the stairs to the cargo hold on the bottom deck. Tamberline raised her bristled muzzle from a crate of dried salmon and greeted him with a low mew. The boy looked around at the jumbled stacks of provisions in wooden crates and barrels and burlap sacks. At random, he reached into a bag and came out with a handful of raw grain. He chewed a kernel. It tasted sweet. He put more kernels in his mouth and stood thinking about what to do next. In fact, for the past few days, he had thought of little else, except his father, of course, and his father's last words. It was all intertwined in his head like a tangle of yarn. Flee, his father had said with great effort. Take the moon shadow. Protect. Find your... If she... Then he was gone. What did he mean? 
Woodrow wondered aloud. The only answer was a deafening noise that shook the ground out from under the boy's feet and set him toppling into a pile of crates. He pushed himself up and looked around. Tamberline had disappeared somewhere. He staggered toward the door at the stern of the vessel, pushed it open, and stepped out into the damp, salty sea air. It smelled of sulfur. Oh no! A column of charcoal gray smoke rose up from the sea. Below it, the bow of a swiftly moving steamer cut the waves, driving steadily toward him. He recognized the ship, the Sanguine Knight, and knew who captained it. Sir Monroy, knight and steward of the Riley Island Navy. Orange flames belched from the approaching vessel. A second later, Woodrow heard the report of the cannon. The air whistled off to his left. A near miss. Woodrow backed into the cargo bay, then turned and ran. He took the stairs two at a time until he landed on the cockpit level. He could hear Hartford chattering in his nervous manner. Hartford? We need to get out of here. They're right up on us. Upon hearing this fact, Hartford seemed appropriately panicked. He threw his arms in the air, and the gears within the iron dome of his head made frantic whirring and clicking noises. Calm down, Woodrow said, as much to himself as to the golem. We just need some speed. We can outrun them. Hartford looked at him, mute. Woodrow turned to the helm. I know. It's up to me, but I don't know how to fly this stupid thing. He sat in the pilot seat and studied the instruments around him, as he had so many times before. On his right stood a long lever. The lever adjusted the moonshadow's altitude. This he had discovered through experimentation early on. The night after he made this discovery, he awoke from an unsettling dream in which he had floated off into the clouds like a lost balloon. After that, he decided not to mess with the lever too much. He pressed on the pedals at his feet. They were soft. Nothing ever happened when he stepped on them. Then there was the glass lens and the chair's sole armrest. The armrest was on the left side of the pilot's seat, which seemed significant, but Woodrow couldn't say why. In any case, he didn't know what the lenses were for. All in all, the helm had the feel of a broken clock, or else one that just needed to be wound. But how do I wind it? Woodrow thought. He rubbed the back of his neck and thought some more. He slammed his fist down on the armrest. Damn it, Dad! Why didn't you tell me how to do this? His frustration turned to panic when another cannon blast rattled the hull of the ship around him. Something out the glass ahead caught his eye. He raised his head. The jaws of the north loomed large. They were very close now. What had caught his eye was the mouth of a river. It opened up between the walls of granite and pine into a narrow corridor. Woodrow pointed at the opening. If I can just maneuver the moon shadow into that space, maybe the river current will be too strong for them to push against, he muttered. He looked again at the controls, still without insight. From behind him, he could hear the gears in Hartford's head begin to click in an even pattern. The moonshadow had made a very shallow bank and crawled toward the mouth of the river. Woodrow looked back at the golem. How'd you do that? The golem blinked his glowing yellow eyes, but remained mute. The floor boomed and shook. 
The enemy had already landed a number of hits, but none of them seemed to do anything more serious than rattle the Moonshadow's hull. Although he didn't understand how they could be unscathed, this fact gave Woodrow a degree of comfort. The Moonshadow drifted between the granite walls, and soon they were hemmed in on either side by pine and stone. For a long moment, the cannon fire ceased. Woodrow held his breath in anticipation. Perhaps we're losing them. Finally, he inhaled and looked back at Hartford. At that instant, the Moonshadow's nose pitched downward with sudden violence, jerking Woodrow out of his seat. He saw the gray waves reach up and engulf the glass bubble that surrounded the bridge. A second later, the Moonshadow's nose swung back up, bursting from the water in a wash of foam and returning to its former altitude. We're still flying, Woodrow said, astonished. Hartford glanced from side to side, seeming as shocked as the boy. Woodrow climbed back into his seat and rubbed the back of his neck, thinking. Several minutes passed. Why haven't they fired another round? Did we lose them? He mumbled. Looking down through the glass beneath the helm, he found his answer. The enemy ship chugged on, unencumbered by the river's push, and was now directly below the moon shadow. The ship's cannons pointed up at steep angles, but none seemed capable of aiming directly at the sky. Woodrow chuckled despite himself. That ship wasn't designed for combat against airships. I guess we're safe for the moment. Then he smelled the smoke. Gray tendrils reached onto the bridge from somewhere in the moon shadow's hole. Oh no, I better have a look. The stairwell to the lowest deck was dark with smoke. They got us good with that last one. He needed to inspect the damage, but the black cloud would make it impossible. The second deck had an opening in the floor where the crane hung down from a conveyor axis on the ceiling so that containers could be moved around in the cargo bay or bulk supplies pulled up into the galley. Smoke billowed from the opening. Woodrow could see nothing through it. Damn. Then something occurred to him. Tam Tam! He called out. He saw no movement in the smoke. Was she still down there? If she wasn't in the cargo hold, there was one other place she might be. I hope you're there, Tam Tam. He bolted up the stairs to the third floor, running down the hall past the staterooms, into the library, and up the spiral staircase. He climbed past the captain's quarters, his father's room, perhaps, if things had gone another way, and emerged in the greenhouse. Tam Tam? The great cat yawned and reached out with her front paws for a long stretch in the dappled light beneath the green foliage. You're napping? Woodrow marveled. We're under attack! Tamberline sat up and smacked her lips. I'm going back to the bridge. I have to figure out what to do now, Woodrow grumbled. The smoke had dissipated a bit by the time Woodrow had passed through the hall leading to the bridge. He took it as a good sign and hurried on. Woodrow looked down through the glass in the cockpit to see what was going on with the enemy ship. He could see the crew scurrying about on the deck. Their work seemed to be focused around what appeared to be a large, circular, brownish sheet of canvas. Woodrow squinted at it for a moment before he realized what it was. They're inflating a balloon! They're going to board us! And what would they do when they came aboard? Offer him condolences for the death of his father? 
offer mercy to a troubled youth accused of doing some very bad things. Not likely. He sat and looked at the useless controls, the armrest with the strange lenses, the soft pedals. The only thing he knew would work was the altitude lever. He reached for it. Hartford buzzed in protest, but Woodrow ignored him. He took a firm grip and pulled back hard. Thanks for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins. Original music by Mackenzie Stubbard. And as always, consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can also support me, A.P. Weber, on Patreon. In any case, please join us again next time for more Lies and Half-Truths. Half-Truths.